can't, it's on page 808 in my Bible. Chapter 3 of Habakkuk, and I'm just going to read at the end of the chapter, verses 16 through 19. Habakkuk 3.16. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble. Because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet, and makes me walk on my high places. Let's pray. Lord, again, thank you for your word and, and for the demonstration here of faith in response to, to your activity in this world, the good and the, what seems to be bad. We thank you, Lord, that you are the author of our faith and the perfecter of it, and we look to you, God, to sustain us in all the things that take place in this world, that like Habakkuk, God, that our hearts would just be steadfast, rejoicing in you and giving thanks and standing firm. And Lord, we, we pray that you would use this time, God, to that end, that you would be exalted and that our hearts would remain true to you in all that you allow to come into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, this is an amazing chapter and conclusion to this book. If you recall, in the first chapter, Habakkuk was complaining because there was so much injustice in his nation, it appeared that God was doing nothing. And so he cried out, How long, O Lord? And the Lord answered and said, not much longer, because I'm bringing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people. And then Habakkuk says, why? How can you use a people that are worse than we are to punish us? Why, O oh God? And those are the two big questions that we are most prone to ask God, how long and why? And so the Lord in chapter 2 laid out all the reasons why he's doing what he's doing and that he will not allow the Chaldeans or the Babylonians to escape judgment. They were the instrument of his judgment against Israel, but they too will be judged. And he lists the reasons why that's going to happen. And in the midst of that, he, he gave those very profound statements that the just shall live by faith, that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as we just sung about, and the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth be silent before him. Now, how would you respond to knowing that in a very short time, things are going to become unimaginably bad? None of us have ever been through the circumstances that these people are about to face. Habakkuk had a pretty good idea of what was coming because the news had spread about what the Babylonians had done to all the other nations. So he wasn't ignorant of what was happening. And it's amazing here, miraculous, supernatural, how he responds. When I was in junior high, about a thousand years ago, um, 
that seemed like, that three years seemed like in itself a, a, a generation, longest three years of my life. And I can recall, um, you know, at, during that time, hair was everything. Today, kids wear their hair any way they want, and they're always accepted. Didn't used to be that way. Um, during those times of the late 60s, early 70s, everybody's hair was just one degree of long. And um, my dad used to cut our hair, and then we graduated, him sending us to the barber shop, and, um, and the barbers there knew my dad. And I walked in one day and said, um, and you know, the barbers knew who I was, and they said, how long? And I said, a finger's length. And they misunderstood finger's length to be finger's width. And so the barber put his hand down on my head like that and just shaved right over the top of it. And, um, and I had to go to school with a very, very short haircut, which in those days was the ultimate punishment. And in fact, if you were really bad at school, you got taken into the book room and the assistant principals gave you licks. And then after you'd been spanked, if you had been really bad, you got suspended for three days. And then if you had really been bad, you could not come back to school until your head had been shaved. So when I went to school with my hair that short, everybody thought I had been really, really bad. What did you do? What crime did you commit? Where are you going to go to prison? I mean, it was, it was really bad. And I'll never forget a friend of mine who had actually gotten in a lot of trouble. He um, had to, got his three-day suspension and got his head shaved. And when he came back to school, every kid in school was harassing him and laughing at him and ridiculing him. And his locker was near mine. At the end of the day, he was getting his books and I was getting mine. And, and, and I didn't say anything to him. And, and, and he looked over at me and he says, Charlie, thank you for not saying anything about my hair. You're the only person in the school today who hasn't said anything about my hair. And I said, and I can understand. <laughs> I've been there. That was the worst thing in 1970 that a kid could face was getting his head shaved. That is nothing, nothing like what these people are about to go through. We went to the Holocaust Museum when we were in Israel recently. That is a sobering experience. That would have been on par with what these people are about to experience. I was told recently there's a Holocaust Museum in, in San Antonio, and I know there's another one in Washington, D.C. I didn't know there was one in San Antonio. Haven't been there, but I would encourage you, especially after reading this chapter, if you have a chance to go to a Holocaust Museum, you should go. And walk through that museum with this chapter in mind. This is amazing stuff. To face a true holocaust. And to have this attitude, it is supernatural. You can't conjure this up on your own. You can't just decide, I'm going to be like this when I face the greatest trial of my life. This is something that God has to do in us as we yield to him and what his purposes are. So it says in chapter 3, it starts out, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. So not a complaint, not a question. That was the first two chapters. Now it's just a prayer. The prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigonoth. Nobody has any idea what that means. 
So I'm not going to try to explain it. The best explanation, though, is that it's some kind of musical statement, and apparently um, it meant something, obviously, in that day, but the reader here was told that when he, when he reads this and when he were to, if he was to, to play it because it was actually put to music, that this kind of designates how it was to be played. And so it was to be played, apparently, with great emotion because it's a very emotional chapter. Lord, I have heard the report. I've heard the report about you, and I fear. So that's how it starts out. I've heard the report, and I'm afraid. And it's going to end with, I am afraid. And then his only petition in this whole prayer, revive your work in the midst of the years. And then secondly, in the midst of the years, make it known in wrath, remember mercy. So revive your work and remember mercy. Revive your work. I, I, he could be saying, when this time of discipline and, and, and tragedy falls on us, revive people's hearts. That could be what he's saying. I think it's more likely what he's saying is not in any indignation or, or, or mocking, but just in great sincerity and humility is saying, Lord, bring it on. Go ahead. See, that's the first thing that's so interesting and so supernatural here because we'd be saying, Lord, no, don't let this happen. And he's going, okay, God. Start it. Do it now. Bring it on. We just were looking at with Jeff in the adult Sunday school class in 2 Peter chapter 3 where Peter says, what kind of people should we be? Those that are looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I think that's what Habakkuk is doing. He is looking for and hastening the coming of this time. The last chapter of Revelation, again, Jesus says, I am coming quickly. And at the end, John says, Amen, Lord. Come. Come, Lord Jesus. Even knowing all that his coming will mean, Lord Jesus, come. Come in judgment. Come soon. Do what you have said that you would do, and we know what it's going to cost us. Financially, we'll be ruined. Our families will be, many of them, destroyed. Our lives are going to be, for many, lost. It couldn't be worse. And yet Habakkuk is saying, come, revive your work, get it started. Wow. And he knows this is a time of wrath. In wrath Lord, would you just remember mercy? Now, that's a man just praying from his heart because we don't have to ask God to remember mercy. He's always going to remember mercy. The psalmist says that the, mercy, the mercies of the Lord are over all his works, and that includes his wrath. And I thank the Lord that he is a God, that even when he judges, he shows mercy and grace. 
The book of Revelation is a book of judgment, and all through it we see the mercy and grace of God. We know that <laughs> when we're disciplining our children, hopefully we're the same. In wrath, remember mercy. And God doesn't have to be exhorted toward that. No matter how wrathful he may be, no matter how much his anger may be poured out on this earth, he will act in mercy in all that he does. These next verses, 3 through 15, again, amazing if these were even here. Because every one of these verses are statements of adoration, of worship, and praise of God. In the best of times, we would have a hard time, I mean, honestly, if you read through these verses, if you had to just, just write out verses of adoration to God, just one sentence after another saying, God, I adore you because of this. I wonder how many sentences you would come up with in the best of times. And Habakkuk, in the worst of times, in verses 3 through 15, just lists one thing after another that he is giving his adoration to God. God comes from Teman and the Holy One from the Mount Paran. This is to the south of Israel, where, where God moved in from the Canaanite, into the Canaanite country in his own wrath and judgment. He's recalling that. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of his praise. He is holy, his splendor. And then it says, um, his radiance is like the sunlight. His rays are flashing from his hand, and there is, there is, is the hiding of his power. Before him goes pestilence, and plague comes after him. He stood and surveyed the earth. He looked and startled the nations. Yes, the perpetual mountains were shattered. The ancient hills collapsed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Kushan, and under, under distress, I, the tents, tent curtains of the land of Midian were trembling. Did the Lord rage against the rivers, or was thine anger against the rivers, or was thy wrath against the sea? Rage, anger, wrath. Thou didst ride on thy horses, on thy chariots of salvation. Thy bow was made bare, the rods of chastisement were, were sworn. Thou didst cleave the earth with the rivers. The mountains saw thee and quake. The downpour of water swept by. The deep uttered forth its voice. It lifted high its, its hands. Sun and moon stood in their places. Speaking of when Joshua was in battle. They went away at the light of thine arrows, at the radiance of thy gleaming spear. In indignation thou didst march through the earth. In anger thou didst trample the nations. Thou didst go forth for the salvation of thy people, for the salvation of thine anointed. Thou didst strike the head of the house of the evil to lay upon him. From th to lay him open from thigh to neck. Thou didst pierce with his own spears the head of his throngs. They stormed in to scatter us. Their exaltation was like those who devour the oppressed in secret. Thou didst tread on the sea with thy horses and on the, and on the surge of many waters. All of this he's recounting what God has done in the past. His splendor, his praise, his radiance, pestilence before him, plague after him. Earth, nation, mountains, perpetual hills, they all collapse. His rage, his anger, his wrath, 
not against rivers and seas, but God bringing chastisement and also salvation. From him comes salvation, judgment, and his sovereign power. He's impressed with who God is. He's stirred in the depth of his being that God is coming, and his coming is for a day of reckoning. I don't know if you saw it, but I was on my phone app for Fox News yesterday, and there was a lengthy article written by Max Lucado um, in response to the school shooting here in Texas this week. It's a good article. He talked about judgment and judging and how none of us want judgment, but we all want the unrighteous to be judged. And he said, that day is coming. There is a day of reckoning coming. And he wrote the article to comfort those parents who've lost their children. And we know that this should not continue. A day of reckoning is coming. God is coming. That's what Habakkuk is saying. Lord, come. Don't delay. But in his coming, life will never be the same for anyone. It will be a frightening time to be on earth. And yet we should still long for him to come to set things right, for his righteousness to rule, for his glory to fill the earth. There will be no escape. It is absolutely certain that he is coming. Absolute power is going to be displayed. There will only be terror at his rage and anger and wrath. But there will also be salvation and there will be mercy because God always remembers mercy and judgment. All of Habakkuk's questions are now answered. It is now a time to stop objecting and stop complaining. Behold, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. It's a time to stand with your mouth, with your hand over your mouth in dread, with a sickness in your stomach over what's about to come, and yet that joy in your heart because the Lord is coming and he's going to set things right. How will I respond? That is the only question that remains. How will I respond? So I've said before, it could be just, it, be, it may not be that God is in our lifetime going to bring this kind of collapse on society in judgment. But we all are going to face great hardship sooner or later. We live in a fallen world. And nobody is exempt from great pain. How will we respond? That's the only question left here. Verse 16, I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people to arise who will invade us. Man, I tell you, don't you appreciate the honesty of Scripture? 
Here's God's prophet, just like you and I, who hears the worst judgment that a nation could ever hear. And he says, it terrifies me. My inward parts tremble. My lips quiver. Decay has entered my bones. I tremble while I stand. But doesn't Jesus say, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. And believe in God also. Doesn't Paul say, count it all joy. James says, count it all joy. Paul says, rejoice. Paul says, give thanks in everything. Let the peace of God guard your hearts as you give thanks to him and, and by prayer and supplication make your needs known to him. The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, the scripture says all those things. And I wonder, I think I know, that you can, in one sense, simultaneously have your heart know the peace of God and your emotions are just whipping you all around like a rag doll. Our emotions do not, cannot always be commanded, even when we are choosing faith. You can choose faith and still be scared to death. Saying that makes me think of that story I've told you all before of a man who was lined up with others to be executed in World War II, prisoner of war, been marched out into the snow, lined up with a bunch of other prisoners to be shot car comes driving up at the last minute. Officers got out. One officer walked back and forth in front of the line, came and stopped in front of one man and said, you are not afraid of dying. Why not? And the man said, I am afraid of dying. And he said, no, I know men. And I've seen many die. And you are not afraid of dying. Why not? And the man said, sir, I am not afraid of death because I have placed my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know that the moment that I die, I will be in the presence of my Savior. But afraid of dying? Yes. See, that's honesty. The process scares me. But the finality of it liberates me. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. I am not afraid of death. Dying is a different story. And that man said, you must not be married, must not have a family. And he says, I am married, sir. Then you don't have children. And I think it was something like 10 children the guy had. And the officer couldn't understand that kind of fearlessness, that kind of confidence in the face of death. And he put his hand out and shook his hand and said, I hope to see you when this war is over. And he dismissed them all. Not a man was shot that day. Habakkuk was afraid of the process. But at the same time, his trust was in God. 
I don't think that's a contradiction. I believe that we should give ourselves grace when we are facing similar things. This is not a man who's abandoned faith in God. He has not given up on the Lord. He is still trusting Him. And his emotions are betraying Him. If you haven't experienced that, you will. And others we know are going through that. They are still confident in the Lord, but they are scared to death of what they are facing. That's normal. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, there is nothing Nothing. There is no food whatsoever. Yet, I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That is not going to happen simply by his own personal commitment. How do I know that? Because of the next verse. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like hind's feet and makes me walk on my high places. I hope you do not for a minute think that when you were to, if you could, were to go through circumstances like what he is anticipating, that you can just ahead of time saying, I will rejoice, I will exalt. You don't know that. And if you think you can do that in your own strength, you are going to be greatly disappointed. But you can exalt, and you can rejoice because of him who strengthens you. The Lord is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet. He's talking about those mountain goats. You ever seen the pictures of them? Maybe driven through the mountains of Colorado or whatever and seen those mountain goats on, on those just sheer cliffs. And they're not just kind of tiptoeing around. They're leaping from one little, little, I mean, can't even see the ledge to another. Confident. And Habakkuk saying that when this day comes, though I am scared to death, I will rejoice and I will exalt because my God will strengthen me. Praise the Lord. Here are some lessons. We can and should praise the Lord in all circumstances of life, even with impending disaster. But praise and worship, we should understand, does not change what's going to happen. Too many times people think that faith changes reality. Faith is based on reality. Faith lives in the midst of reality. But faith isn't about changing the reality. The Chaldeans are coming. No amount of faith is going to change that. But it's about trusting God in the midst of the disaster. That's true faith. Praise and worship doesn't always mean that our emotions are immediately going to follow. 
we cannot command our emotions. We can come to Jesus and, and trust him for the grace to keep them under control so we're not just, just flying off and being ruled by our emotions. We can truly be ruled by the Spirit. But that doesn't mean our emotions are going to necessarily immediately change. It is right and it is good to want God to revive and make known his work, to get with his plan, to urge him on in both judgment and salvation. Come quickly, O Lord. We should also desire for him to remember mercy as he judges. God should be remembered in worship and adoration for what he has done in the past, and this encourages our faith for the future. Fear is normal. Faith doesn't necessarily remove it. We can have fearful emotions and simultaneously be confident in the spirit. There are some absolutes. God is active even when it seems that he isn't. That's one of the absolute truths that's come from this little book. God is active and working even when it looks like he isn't. God is in control of this nation, of every nation at this time. Nothing is happening that God is not in absolute control over. He will judge and he will make everything right. He is holy and he is sovereign. He saves and he judges and he remembers mercy as he's doing so. It is an absolute that the proud are not right in their souls. And it is an absolute that the righteous live by faith. That is never going to change. It is an absolute truth the day is coming when God's glory will fill this earth. And it is an absolute that God is standing, should say, sitting in his temple, ready to judge. The only question is, when will it come? Because it will come. No question. And what will our response be? I believe that we'll be raptured. I don't think we'll be here for the great tribulation. But that is not to say that the church will not go through times of great suffering. And I know from God's word, Jesus is sufficient. And there is nothing that he will allow us to go through that his grace is not sufficient the answer, folks, is never going to be in how much we have, have done to, to put our nest on high, as chapter 2 talked about that the Babylonians have done. Not about how much money we've saved or how much food we've got stockpiled. We should make preparations when we know bad things are coming. But our trust is to be in the Lord. And there is no amount of preparation that can can forestall what God is going to bring. And we can, with Habakkuk, say, no matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, we will exalt. We will rejoice. 
thankfully, in times when things have gotten bad in this country and around the world, the churches usually become better attended and less attended when things are good. So in the bad times, people remember, I need the Lord. We don't have to forget God when things get bad. And no matter how bad things may be, our God will strengthen us. That's supernatural. He is present with us. He is our strength. We do not live from our own commitment, but we live in dependence upon the one who is our strength. And he will make our feet like hinds feet in the tragedies of life. I will close us in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for your great faithfulness to us. Thank you, God, that we can say with Habakkuk that no matter what the circumstances of life and how tragic they might be, how terrifying they might be, we will rejoice. We will exalt. And it's not because of our determination to do so. It's because you are our strength, our rock, our fortress, and our hope is in you. And you give strength to the weak. You sustain the one who is faint. You raise up the one who can't stand. And we know that you will, that you have. We know that you are doing so this day. Thank you, God, for your sustaining, miraculous, supernatural grace that you give to the weak. Our hearts may be trembling, Lord, our emotions betraying us with great fear. We look to you, O oh God, to keep us and to sustain us, that we would praise you, rejoice in you, while also encouraging you, Lord, praying that you would, would do your work quickly and that you would come again quickly. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are to us. In Christ's name, amen.